0: We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 today, so go ahead and turn there. Such a great text, hope so much that we are moved by it and that we grow in light of what we see in it. Uh, In James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, James writes this, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. I'm reading there the Christian Standard Bible version of the verse because I think uh, the wording is helpful, but it also connects to what we see in the text today. It's a reminder for us, just as today's text is a reminder for us, that we are called to reflect God's love others, that there are none of us who are elevated above another, that there are none who are to be neglected by those of us who say and who know that God is love. And So let's look at the text and work through it together. Go ahead and stand if you're able and follow along as I read Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we praise you and thank you for who you are and all that you have accomplished on our behalf. We praise you for Jesus. And we thank you for your word, and we ask that you'd help us in this time, Lord. Open our hearts, that we would know you, that we would love you, that we would desire to reflect you to others, Lord, that you be glorified in this time. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so we come to here a point in the church where there is difficulty and even division, and that, that really shouldn't surprise us. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, what we see in the text today in Acts chapter 6, the divisions here are not a reflection of what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians. They're not a reflection of who is a genuine follower of Jesus and who is not a genuine follower, but it does remind us that there's no church anywhere ever without difficulty. As wonderful and as exemplary as the church in Jerusalem has been up until this point, it gets to a place where difficulties arise. Look at verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, here's what's happening. The church is growing and growing and growing. And that growth leads to problems in distributing resources among believers in need. The last that we have read, as it relates to these things... The believers were sharing their possessions in such a way that it says there wasn't a single person in need. That's Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. It says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need such a beautiful display of Christ likeness in the early church. We know the church in Jerusalem from that point just keeps growing. Since that time Acts 4 we've seen how the church is growing more than ever it says. Now there are thousands and thousands of believers. We don't have a number on that, but there are thousands and thousands of believers at this point and There's diversity in that fellowship. There are Hellenists and there are Hebrews. Now, what does that mean? Well, Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, Jews whose primary language is Greek. They were Jews who had likely returned from the diaspora to live in Jerusalem. It's possible in light of what we learn later in this passage that some of the Hellenists were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. But likely the majority would have been Greek-speaking Jews who had lived in the diaspora and their native language, and and for some of them, probably their only language is Greek. The Hebrews are Aramaic-speaking Jews. Now, as wonderful as this passage is because of how the situation is met with wisdom and grace, and it is, this is a problem that will continue for the church after this. It's a problem that, um, a problem of, as N.T. Wright words it, distinctions between people from different ethnic or linguistic groupings and the question of their relative status within this new movement. Now, think of the context here, okay? Okay. Of Hebrew speaking Jewish believers who are distributing to their widows more favorably than to the Hellenistic or Greek speaking Jewish believers who are immigrant minorities. Now, what are they distributing? Well, remember Acts 4 disciples are selling land and houses, and the proceeds are brought, they're laid at the apostles' feet, and distributed to any who have need. Some believe that this is specifically, in the case of the widows, referring to food distribution. That's possible, especially since it says it's a daily distribution, and food is something that would be able or would need to be distributed day by day. It's also possible that it's money that would have been used to care for the needs of the widows. Before we get into the solution that is brought forward, just pause and think about that. If it is food, and and many think it is food that's being discussed here, think about that. This is probably in the mid-30s. Not the mid 1930s, not the mid 1730s, the mid 30s. 30 some years after the birth of Christ. Food prep- preparation was not done in a microwave, there are no distribution or packaging plants. It was labored over. It was labored over. And so if this is food, there are women laboring, preparing the food for those in need. If it's clothing, there's no gap. They had to make the clothing. Let I me mean, read Proverbs 31. They had to make the clothing. So there are are women who are working, laboring to prepare the food, to make the clothing, whatever it is that's being distributed. It's such a beautiful and needed reminder for us in the body. There are those that are not even mentioned that are laboring to do the work of ministry. You think about how often you see a um, Thanksgiving post post, on social media, or a Super Bowl party post on social media. And there's all the food in the background of the pictures. Who made that food? Not everyone is able to just rest and enjoy the blessings. Some have labored to bring about those blessings. And here, it is absolutely would have been the women in the background doing all of this work. Here in Jerusalem, there's there's nothing that says that the neglecting of these widows is deliberate, not intentional. They're neglected, they're being overlooked, and that's very important because this is not a New Testament need that God just now addresses. This is something brand new that God gives instruction on. This has been instruction all along. From the beginning, God has been clear that He expects His people to care for those in need, especially widows and orphans. And yet here, the Aramaic-speaking Jews are getting sufficient help. The Greek-speaking widows are not. They're neglected or they're overlooked. So, from that word alone, neglected or overlooked, we can connect that Greek widows are unnoticed and sort of invisible to those distributing the food or the money or whatever it is. The Hebrew speakers didn't notice them. There are people who are invisible to one group and very visible to another group. Very visible to the Greek-speaking Jews who come and speak up and say, this isn't right. They're not giving to the needs of our widows. Our widows are being neglected. Our widows are being overlooked. It goes on in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the issue is brought to the apostles, and what do they do? First, they take responsibility, and they call together the entire community of disciples, all of the disciples, thousands of them, right? To address it. But it's not not so simple that the apostles can overcome this problem themselves. They have responsibilities that, that they cannot give up. And so, they're first very clear of what they could not do. They can't rush and do this work themselves. and In in no way does that mean that they think they're above doing the task of serving the widows, but they've already been given responsibility. It's not their unwillingness to serve in this way, it's the inability to do that and the work that they've been commissioned to do. They're responsible for teaching the Word of God. They're saying we can't neglect this calling and responsibility of preaching God's Word. That has to continue. But it doesn't mean that they don't think it's necessary to address the issue. So the thinking for the apostles here is teaching the Word of God must happen. And taking care of these widows in need must happen. And so, they're going to delegate. And really, as we look at this, this is something that ought to amaze us as we consider how they handle the situation. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So, the, the apostles tell All of the people find seven men who can oversee this need. And not just any seven, there's qualifications that that go along with that, qualifications that should be considered here. First, they should have a good reputation. They should be well spoken of in the congregation of people. And they're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. In other words, there should be evidence. Things that make it obvious that their lives have been transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we might ask, well, how could people know that? Well, if we consider Paul's words later that he writes to the Galatians, we know that there is evidence. There is fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence that someone has the Holy Spirit inside of them, that they're being transformed by the work of God through His Spirit. The evidence is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To put forward seven who qualify in these ways. In verse 4, But we, the apostles say, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. They clarify what they will continue to do. So we we want you to designate seven men who can take care of this great need, but we're going to continue to devote ourselves to these things. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. The, The apostles, they know that they needed to devote themselves and their time to these necessities you see what God is doing through the proclamation of the Word in the early church. And so they desire for these other needs to be met, but they know that they themselves cannot do everything. If they devote themselves to meeting the needs that have been brought to them here, then their devotion to prayer and the ministry of the word is going to suffer. This really is a great picture of what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 as it relates to the ministry of all believers in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, in verse 11, it it says, And he gave the apostles, let's talk about the Lord Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, Paul is saying God has gifted the church with people from the beginning of the church until now, with people whose purpose is to equip the people of the church, the body of Christ, so that they're doing the work of ministry, so that together we are all functioning and growing up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And that's the goal here in Acts 6. Not that the apostles do every single thing, but they're equipping others to do the work of ministry. And it says the apostles are devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. They know that they are desperate to be in prayer and communion with God. And that they must lead others in that as well, whether it's in temple prayers or from house to house as they pray with believers or as they pray for the sick. And they know they must continue in the ministry of the Word, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus. verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Everyone, all of this great um, congregation, were happy with the suggestion, it pleased them, they're happy with what the apostles have suggested, I think that's important. It's brought to their attention that there are people being overlooked, people who don't speak their language are being neglected, and they're told to choose seven to deal with this issue moving forward, and they're happy with the plan. They're glad that the issue is being addressed. And then Luke tells us who the seven are. And and two in particular, Stephen is mentioned first. We're going to see much more about him in the next sections. And then Philip, someone we're going to encounter moving forward in Acts. The other five, we never hear their names again. That shouldn't surprise us. There are... Apostles that we don't see their names or hear of them again. But there's something we we ought to notice here. Something that's so great about these men and the choice of these men to fulfill this purpose. Scott McKnight writes concerning this verse, but their choice had a radical edge a choice that forms into a monument of Christ-likeness shaped by ethnic sensitivity. Many miss it. The names chosen are not Jewish, but Greek names. The unidentified choosers decided to turn the power over to the Greek-speaking believers, no doubt because the Hebrew-speaking believers were blind to the injustices they inflicted upon the overlooked widows. Ethnic sensitivity is about sharing and even surrendering power. It is a beautiful picture of Christ-likeness that's happening in this early church body. There's a need, and they appoint those who most certainly will recognize the need and make sure it is met. They appoint those who have a sincere interest in and care for those who are being neglected. One other thing to notice about these men, one of them, Nicolaus, was a proselyte. In other words, he was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. A Gentile who now follows Jesus. Jesus. And so, as we consider that, I mentioned earlier that 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 may reflect that there are others who are proselytes involved in those who are being overlooked. Verse 6 These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So they present these seven men, and the apostles pray for them, lay hands on them, they commission them to this service. There are several reasons in the New Testament that we see for laying on of hands. We see it when when some receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see it for healing a blind person, commissioning missionary outreach, baptism, receiving a spiritual gift, restoring a person to the church. Here, it signifies the apostles' recognition of these men for this ministry. They're commissioning them that they're going to represent the community of believers and the expectation that God will bless them moving forward. And then verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, what's the result of all of this? Three things that we know happen because of this circumstance, or following this circumstance. As a result of the wisdom and grace displayed in the issue in the church. The first is this, the word of God spreads. The word of God spreads. It says it continued to increase. The word increase in one way means that it increased within the congregation. Within the thousands of people who are now following Jesus, the Word of God increased in them. That, that picture that we see in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is they're becoming more and more into the likeness of Christ and the maturity in Christ. Believers are continuing to be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit as they listen and learn to, the t- uh, listen to and learn from the teaching of the apostles. Second, we see the number of the disciples multiplied. So it also refers to God Himself making the preaching effective. That God's doing something through it. People are coming to faith in Jesus. People are hearing the good news and coming to the conclusion, this is true. We believe this. It says this included a, a large number of priests. So if you think that what Peter and John had been doing up to this point really ticked off the Sanhedrin, this did too. People who had been devoted to the Sanhedrin, not members of the Sanhedrin, but people who had been devoted are now surrendered to the good news of Jesus Christ, following Jesus. But the third thing we learn is persecution begins. It increases for the apostles, but it begins here for other followers of Jesus. We're going to see that most specifically and almost immediately as it relates to Stephen. Now, a couple things before we finish. First, are these men, these seven that are mentioned, the first deacons. And my answer for that would be a very wholehearted maybe. I'm convicted about that. They may be. There's certainly a connection that can be made between these seven and deacons. But the actual, the word for deacon in the New Testament is actually the word servant. So, whenever you see deacon in the New Testament, it's, it's really the word servant. That word isn't used here in this text anywhere. Again, there's a connection for sure, but we also know that later there are actual qualifications for the role of deacon as it's established, and those qualifications are somewhat different than what we have here in Acts 6. There, there's overlap, but they're They're unique. So, I think this text can be helpful in the discussion about deacons, but it doesn't give us a complete picture, and I think that's important. It's also something that, as elders, we're going to be addressing, talking about in the coming weeks. The second thing is this. As we we come away from this text and we look at the issue that's happening in the church, in the early church, and how... It is addressed not just by the apostles, but by the reception of the body of the congregation. As we consider that, let's let's be people who humbly look at this situation for what it was and then respond with the sincere love that these early disciples had. This is a loving picture. The truth is there are often people who are overlooked people who are neglected. Now, we want to say, may that never be by those who say they identify with Jesus, but the truth is, it happens. Sometimes it's champion. But may that never be by those who say they identify with Jesus, whether it's widows or orphans or strangers or immigrants. We have this picture through Jesus in the early church where even when those issues arose, they met them with grace. We should desire in our hearts to display the love and acceptance of Jesus for others. To embrace the early church saw their sisters in need and rather than saying to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, and neglecting the actually, actually meeting the needs of the people, they considered the way in which they could minister and care for them in a tangible and immediate way. And let's pray that God will help us in that as well, that our hearts would be, bend, would bend toward those who are being neglected. We're going to transition to a time where we take the Lord's Supper. And again, in the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, this was an issue there as well. Those in need were being neglected at the meals, and those with much with, with much are feasting to the detriment of those who are in need. Paul addresses it with harsh words. He says this, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now, we don't want that. Whatever you consider about that text, that's one of the things from 1 Corinthians 11. You don't want to be a people who's coming together like this is for the worse. And that's what Paul describes of those in Corinth because they were neglecting the needs of those less than them. That's how they looked at them. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. That's just that's as if Paul is saying to them, it would be better if we didn't even do this. It would be better if we didn't even come together. It would be better if we didn't have a service. It would be better if we didn't show up than to do this. God has richly provided for us through Jesus Christ. His body was broken for us. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That should radically change the way that we look at every individual on the face of the planet. And we ought to rejoice in light of it. We ought to rejoice in the truth that we've been transformed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. To the end that we're happy to see when others are not neglected. And so as you're dismissed to come and receive the bread and the cup and go back to your seats, we're going to sing together and then we'll take the bread and cup together as a body. But let's receive the bread and the cup with thanksgiving, with joy, remembering what Christ has done to bring us together, to make us his own, to invite any to come to him through, to the Father through him. And let's anticipate how we can be used to meet the needs of others, just as we see in this early church. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Lord, you're good and you do good, and Lord, we thank you for pictures of how you provide richly through your people And we thank you for pictures of how they loved well. Lord, we long to be that. We want to love well. We want to be people who love the marginalized. We want to be people who embrace the neglected. So help us, Lord, we pray. as We consider your body broken and your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, help us with great thanksgiving to remember rightly, to be transformed into people who adore you and who love those that you've created. We pray in Christ's name, amen.